So this past week I've been uh, reminded a little bit of what it was like to be um, a father when, the, when your babies are first born. And I know the, the mother takes the worst of this where there's no sleep for like a year it seems. Um, but even as, as a, when my children were just born, I remember thinking, I'm never going to sleep again. Like the first five weeks of their life, sleep is never going to happen and constantly tired. Uh, I'll tell you a farm story real quick. Uh, we had a, our mom pig had babies this past week or a week and a half ago, and there was complications where she couldn't raise the babies, and she's fighting for her life right now. But nonetheless, we ended up with two baby pigs that have to be fed with a bottle every two hours uh, around the clock. And now it's like three or four hours, so you're getting a little more sleep. Uh, but it just gives that renewed appreciation for not sleeping ever uh, and all that, all that parents go through uh, those first few weeks of the baby's life. It just uh, gives a appreciation or a reminded appreciation uh, for what my parents uh, did for me. And I probably didn't, I probably kept them awake the first three years of my life. I don't know. I was probably a horrible child. Uh, but today in our study, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to find your way there. And we're going to be looking at quite a few uh, different passages, different scriptures today. And uh, in, in thinking about Father's Day, uh, it, it kind of brings about a whirlwind of emotions for a lot of people. I don't know uh, what Father's Day uh, does for you. Uh, as a father, it just brings me gratitude and joy. I'm so thankful for my four children, my healthy children that God has blessed me with. I'm so thankful to be their dad, and I'm thankful that they, for some reason, they love me, and they, they hug me, and they want to be with me, and they cheer for me when I get home. I, I love pulling in the driveway and hearing the kids, Dad's home, running out off the porch and trying to get in my truck and make it a mess. Um, I... I, I just am so thankful to be a father. As a kid, it meant a day with dad. Uh, we lived on a farm. My dad was a farmer, and he worked a full-time job, so he was busy a lot. But Father's Day meant we go to church in the morning, which we did every Sunday, but after church, we got to do something as a family, and it was usually we'd go to, to Lake Huron, and we'd play on the beach, and we'd take a picnic, and after we were done, we'd go to this little ice cream shop in, in town there, uh, just into Canada, and just just great memories of thinking back um, at my childhood, and just a day where we could honor Dad, we could spend the whole day with Dad. Now looking back, it's it's memories. It's just memories that I have of, of spending time with my dad, and I'm thankful for the the dad that God gave to me, and the memories that we have, and and the the different things my dad instilled in me. I'm just, I'm thankful that God blessed me in that way. Because I know there's a lot of people that, that didn't have that. Um, and, and their childhood was not like that. And maybe Father's Day to you brings back maybe some hurt and some pain and, and maybe some, some bitterness or, or some struggles. So Father's Day, as I said, is, is a day that can really play with your emotions. It's, I don't know what your childhood was like in most cases, but it, it brings emotions about usually. And I just want to encourage you to embrace 
wherever you're at, especially at the beginning of, of fatherhood, to embrace your children and consider that you are training them and you are guiding them and you are leading them. And, and don't get to, the, to where your kids are all grown up and look back with regrets. And I'm sure we could, we could talk to fathers who have different regrets about, about different things in raising their children that they have. But, man, if you're at those beginning stages, it goes fast from what I hear, and, and my baby's already eight. So it's, it's flying. So I just want to encourage fathers in that way and thank you for what you have been. But what I would like to do today, because I know it can be so emotional thinking about your dad or the kind of dad you are um, or were, but I just want to point our attention to our Heavenly Father this morning to focus on Him. I know that you know, we could, I could stand up here and beat dads up a little bit, but I don't have no intention of doing that today because I'd be beating myself up too. But I want to point to the amazing Heavenly Father that we have, and I want to I glorify Him today, and I want to point praise towards Him today. Because no matter what type of father you may have had growing up, you have a Heavenly Father who is completely perfect and who is completely great and who is completely holy and righteous who is love, who is kind, who is grace, who is mercy. And we can focus on Him and, and we can give Him the praise that He deserves today. He is the Father of all believers. He adopts us into His family at the moment of salvation. We are heirs of God through Christ Jesus. We have an amazing Father. And that's what I want to focus on today. If you're in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1-7. through 7. And I really want to focus on the last few verses in here of the fact of God adopting us as His children, as heirs of Christ. That's where I want to focus on. But we're going to find a lot of other details in here that we're going to describe and explain, but we're probably going to go fairly quickly through those. Uh, but let's start reading our text. Galatians 4, we'll look at all seven verses there to start out the chapter. Now I say that the heir is long... As he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons." And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You that uh, we can have this day where we remember fathers. I pray that in all the memories that we're flooded with today, that we will not forget to honor You and to recognize that you are an amazing Father. I thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you have offered to us, all, all the work that, that you have done uh, for the redemption, the plan of redemption that you have offered. I thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A lot of us are fairly familiar uh, with the book of Galatians, with the theme uh, with, with what's going on because we spent a year and a half going verse by verse through Galatians. But just quickly to bring us up to speed, in the book of Galatians, Paul is, 
is correcting the Judaizers. There's a group of people who believed in Christ, then some Judaizers creep in and they start telling the people that Christ isn't enough. You also need to hold on to certain traditions and, and aspects of the law and, and obey these things and follow these things. And you can add Christ in there, but, but you, need, you need works and you need to hold to the law to be truly saved. And Paul comes in and he, he corrects that stuff and he, he kind of helps them to understand that the law was a, a schoolmaster. The law was a teacher. Because as we look at the law, as we break down the law, we see that we fall short of being able to perfectly keep the law. I mean, let's go through the Ten Commandments together and see how you're doing. Uh, if we're basing our relationship with God on how well we keep the law, uh, we're in big trouble. And God's Word makes it clear that we fall short. So God uses the law as a schoolmaster to show us you cannot be good enough on your own you need something more. You need my son to pay for your sins, to cover your sins, to be right with God. So Paul's going through this. He's explaining to them that salvation is found in Christ alone. And in the verses that we look at today, he uses a logical illustration to drive his point home. And you can look back into chapter 3 and you can see him using another illustration to drive this point home. And over and over and over again you see Paul correcting and helping and teaching these Galatians that you need Christ for salvation. The law does not save you, you need Christ. And then we have Paul wrapping up here in the verses that we're looking at is that the reality of the believer is that you're adopted into God's family with God being your Father, your Heavenly Father. And let's look at the details together, but I want us to focus on the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. I want us to see a glimpse of how great our Heavenly Father is. Because I don't believe our, our human minds can fully comprehend the greatness of God. We can see pictures and we can see glimpses and and our mind can be filled with how great God is, but I believe He's so much greater than our little tiny minds can comprehend. Your IQ might be huge, but I don't think we can completely understand the magnitude of God's greatness. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. We'll, we'll lump those together to start out with. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. So Paul here is using an illustration of a servant and an heir. At first glance, kind of in, in our context, in, in our society, uh, we might be saying, okay, Paul, what are you, what are you talking about, servants and, and heirs? That's not something that we deal with on a daily, daily basis. Uh, in my life, I know nothing about uh, being, a, being a servant in the sense where someone is employing me or has purchased me to be a servant to take care of their household. Um, so these terms, this thought might be a little foreign to us, but in the customs and the culture of the day, um, Paul's point would have been easy to grasp for these people because they understood what was going on. They understood servants. They understood being an heir and waiting for the time when, when you were old enough or your father declared you to be a man or, or a woman old enough to, to come to that age where, okay, now the inheritance is coming. Now you, are, now you are a man. Just to give some examples, Jewish boys were under direct control of their father until the age of 12. 
Grecian boys until they were about 18. Romans, I try to picture my kids doing this, it would be interesting, would have a ceremony into adulthood where they would burn their childhood toys as a sacrifice to the gods. Symbolizing putting their childhood behind them. I still have a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle box with my childhood greatest memories. You know, I, I guess I could do it now, but it'd still be a little tough because I still have it for some reason, of burning that to sacrifice that to some false god. And, and maybe your kids have a blanket or something. Maybe they're, they're grown and they still have a blanket that they hold on to their childhood. And I know some of you, some of you in this room probably still have your childhood blanket. But I try to picture this going on. I, I just I can't hardly imagine it. But what we have is we have Paul making this this picture here, this this difference in the minds of of these children becoming adults and the way their their life was as children's to the as children's as children to the way it is as an adult. While they were children, they had the same status as a servant. So they were related to the father. They were heir to what the father had to his possessions, but in reality, in practice, they had the same status as a servant. They had this possession coming to them, but they were not getting it as long as they were a child. The text says that while they were a child, they were the same as the servant. So they were not their own man. They were not free to do whatever they wanted. They were under restraint. They were liable to correction and discipline. They did not have free use of their father's estate. Then the verse goes on to say, the end of verse 1, though they be Lord of all. So it's going to be theirs, but not yet. They were the owner and rights to what the father had, but it was not their possession yet. They were literally, or sorry, there were literally slaves or servants hired to take care of the children, to raise them, to, to train them. They cared for the children. They made sure they were educated. They had full charge of the child. So this child has this relationship with the father of the household, but they're under the authority or of the servant. So they have a servant or a slave raising them who is their boss, but in reality, they're related to the father. Do, do you see this, this happening? What's going on here? So they could do nothing without their permission. So the child was answering to the servant. They had to obey them. They could go nowhere without their companionship. They were the heir, yet they were under the tutelage of the slave, of the tutor, of the governor. So, practically speaking, the child did not differ from the servant until the time appointed by the father. So they were under the tutors, they were under the, the rulers as long as dad said so. Look at verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So Paul is now saying, look at this illustration. Get your minds gearing towards this thought of, of being under the authority of, of a servant or of a slave. He says, even so we, so he makes this illustration personal, in this same way, me and you, he's saying, when we were children, or when we were under the law, 
when we were without Christ, when we were trusting in the law for salvation, before saving faith in Christ, what does he say? We were in bondage under the elements of the world. So we get this, this idea, this big picture here as, as we compare Scripture with Scripture that we were slaves to sin or they were slaves to sin. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It should be just a page to your right or so. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There was this, this bondage to the curse of the law. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So we talked about this a little at the beginning, but we see this, this bondage that comes, this enslavement that comes from, from trying to keep the law because we cannot perfectly keep the law. So the law actually declares us guilty or unrighteous because we prove ourselves that we cannot keep the law. So we see our, our sin enslaves and entangles and, and we're bound, we're dead in our trespasses and sin and, and the curse of the law we see is, is being guilty because we can't be perfect on our own. So we see Paul describing this, this bondage of being under the curse of the law. We can never perfectly keep the whole law, and that leaves us guilty. Verse 3 says, has some more to say. It says we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Without Christ, we are in bondage under the elements of the world. So I want you, I want you to think about this. All forms of getting right with God that do not have Christ as the center lead to bondage or keep us trapped in bondage. There are still all kinds of attempts made by people to try to be right before God, to try to have this right standing before God. The world tries to figure out a solution that has already been provided. And that solution is found in Christ alone. Turn over to Colossians. Be maybe four or five pages to your right, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Just trying to quickly paint this picture here. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So we have this, this warning here of don't be turned away by, by thinking something other than Christ can make you right before God. The world has philosophies and, and traditions and ideas of do this or pay this or buy this or talk to this person or 
do these things, and you can be right with God. But it says that completeness comes only through Christ, only from Christ. Man says, I will do, I will follow. All of that leads to bondage or continued bondage. God's Word says, Colossians, we read verses 8-10, through 10, but let's, let's keep reading. Let's go jump down to verses 13-17. through 17. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So Christ can make you alive. Christ has made you alive. goes on to say, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat and drink in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. There's a whole lot going on there, but we see, we can see that this true salvation, this true forgiveness, this true redemption comes only from Christ, only through Christ. John 14.6 Familiar with that one? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus offers something the world never can. Jesus offers freedom from the bondage of sin and the curse of the law. And I, I know we're, we're looking at, at Jesus and what, what He's done here and the, 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 the payment that He has made. But I want to remind you that all of this, this redemptive plan was orchestrated by the Father. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have God working out His redemptive plan. We have, we have Jesus, His Son, being perfectly obedient to His plan of redemption. And Jesus is going through this, performing the will of the Father. Look at verse 4. Of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law. So when God said it was time, He sent forth His Son. And we, we can look back to the, the sending his, of His Son as we are so familiar with the, the Christmas story. And Christ coming to this world, born of a virgin, perfect and sinless, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, becoming God with us, the Messiah in the flesh. Christ had come. And we, we see His, His perfect, sinless life lived out. But God said it was time, and Jesus Christ came, and He was born. He humbled Himself and came in the likeness of a man. I'm so thankful for His obedience there, and I'm so thankful for God's perfect redemptive plan. Then we get to verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now that word redeem is huge. It's so important, and I'm so thankful 
uh, a simple definition, by payment of a price to recover from the power of another. Jesus Christ paid our sin price, a price we cannot pay. He paid it with His perfect blood. He gave His life. He was killed. He was murdered. And He rose again being victorious. But He paid the ultimate price. He shed His blood. He gave His life. His death and His resurrection provided a way for redemption from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Paul is addressing these people here who were trying to keep the law, trying to be good enough to get right with God, but in them trying to do this and trying to earn their way to God, they were in bondage. They were trying to place themselves back under the curse of the law when Christ had redeemed them from the curse of the law. Christ made the payment where we don't have to try to be under the law, where we don't have to try and earn a right standing with God because that's impossible. And that leads to bondage or keeps us in bondage. Look at Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The law is a schoolmaster. The, the law is, is a, a list of things that are impossible for us to keep in our own strength. And God knew that. And God uses the law to prepare us, to show us we need a Redeemer. And Jesus Christ is that Redeemer. And Jesus Christ paid that sin debt. Jesus Christ became the propitiation for our sin debt. Uh, propitiation, one of my favorite words. You probably figured that out over the last 11 years if, if you've been here that long. But propitiation means a satisfactory payment to meet the just demands of a holy God. So sin has a consequence. Breaking God's law has a consequence. A consequence that I cannot pay for to be right with God. But Jesus Christ is that propitiation. He is that payment that satisfies God's just demand. So God can still be, still be just in forgiving us, even though we don't deserve it. We have His grace, but He can still be just in forgiving us because Christ paid our penalty. He redeemed us from the curse, from the penalty of our sin. Romans Chapter 3. I told you there was a lot of references today. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. We get to see this word propitiation in action. 
But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. 1 John chapter 2. Verse number 2. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ is the propitiation, is God's satisfactory payment to meet His just demands that He might redeem us from the curse, from the bondage of the law. And we are able, and we'll see this back in Galatians, we're able to receive the adoption of sons. Through faith in Jesus Christ, not through our works, not through what we can do, not through our righteousness, but through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into the family of God. Back to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Isn't that wonderful news there? That at the moment of salvation we're adopted into the family of God. We have an amazing Heavenly Father. Without Christ, we're slaves to sin. Dead in our trespasses and sins, stuck in the bondage of sin. With Christ, we are adopted into God's family. So thankful for that. Verse 6 of Galatians 4. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Don't just quickly skip over that part because ye are sons. Through Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We are adopted by God. We are in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, through His finished work. Not because we've done so much good or are so worthy, but because of God's grace. Then the verse says, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
as, as a child of God, we, we have this, with this spirit of His Son where we have this, this attitude of God being our, our Father. And the, the thought there is Abba, Father, or it would be a, a passionate a cry of a, a child that was looking to their father. and It's like, Daddy, Daddy. So we, we get this, this attitude or this spirit from God where we look at God as, as, our, as our Father. And to think of my, my children, daddy, daddy, or you know that, that tender attitude that they can have only with you as their father. The, you know, my kids don't run up to Ken and say, daddy, daddy. I mean, it, they don't have that relationship with him. But with me, they, they know they can come tug on my, my pants at any time and say, daddy, daddy. And this is the attitude that God gives us in this adoption, and he, he uses His Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit helps us have this, this feeling towards God or this, this understanding that God truly is our Father. And we read about that in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit confirms in us that we are indeed the children of God. And the Holy Spirit enables us to have this attitude of Abba, Father. The Spirit personally confirms what the Bible declares. So the Bible tells us that you're adopted into God's family. You can cry, Abba, Father. And then the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and it confirms that in our mind and in our hearts where we have this peace and this confidence where we can look to God as our Heavenly Father. Think of this reality. Through this adoption, we're given a close intimate relationship with God. So close that it's like we can say, Daddy, Daddy, or Father, Father. We can go to our Father at any time under any circumstance, knowing that He hears us, that He loves us, that He cares for us, because we are truly His. I'm so thankful that God is my Heavenly Father. He has given us the Holy Spirit to help this confirm this reality and I wrote down which we need because it seems too good to be true I need the Holy Spirit to confirm that I am God's child because I understand that I am so unworthy of being in God's family but he has chosen to give his grace and to give his redemption and to love me and to have that relationship with me that I can look to Him as my Father, as my Heavenly Father. Verse 7, Wherefore, speaking of because of this adoption, we are no more a servant, no longer under the curse of the law, no longer a servant of sin, no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, no longer in bondage. Verse 7 goes on to say, But a son. We are adopted into the family of God. We are the children of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the verse goes on to say, And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Romans 8.17 calls us joint heirs with Christ. Calls believers joint heirs with Christ. We come to God through faith in Jesus Christ 
through the drawing, through the compelling of His Holy Spirit. And God adopts us. God makes us joint heirs with Christ. What an amazing, overwhelming truth. What an amazing Father that we have. Let that sink in today as you go on with your day. You have a Father that has given His grace, that has provided redemption, that has provided a way to have a right relationship with Him. And this relationship isn't just through our our life on this earth. It's eternal. An eternally great Father. Is that truth a reality in your life? We have a Heavenly Father that that loves us, that cares for us, that has given His grace, that has given His, His mercy, all the things that we've talked about. He loved us so much that He gave His Son to be the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could cover and pay for our sins. And not only that, but He allows us, He desires us to go to Him as our Father. That close, intimate, daddy-daddy relationship. He desires to have that with us. And I need that every single day. Because life has a way of of beating us and, and smacking us. And this sinful, cursed world has a way of being painful. But we have a God that we can always go to as our Father. And His Spirit works in us, works through, through us, and helps us understand and realize and have confidence and comfort in going to Him. And have you noticed that? How when you, when you go to Him with something that's just beating you down and weighing you down, where somehow there's a relief before it's even resolved? Am I the only one that's noticed that? It's like a huge weight got lifted. Our problem is still there. But we went to God as our Father, having confidence in Him, knowing that He he can work it out and that He has a plan and that He already is working it out. And it just relieves this, this burden and this pressure. And you think of that humanly speaking and in just a way of illustration. My kids can come to me with something and they can ask me to help them out and it's a relief to them. I might let them down and I, I might fail them and our Heavenly Father will never do that. But there's a confidence that a child has in going to their father knowing that they can go to him with confidence. And so much greater than any human relationship that we can have confidence in, we can have confidence in our Heavenly Father knowing that we can go to Him as our Abba Father. He's, he's so good and, and he, he loves and He cares and we can have confidence in Him and His will. We have an amazing Father and He is worthy of all praise. And as you go on today with your, your, your cookouts or your giving Dad a, a foot massage or however the, day, however the day works out, do not forget how wonderful and how amazing our Heavenly Father is. And He is so worthy of all praise. He's amazing, and He cares, and He loves, and He is good. And He's adopted us into His family by His will and by His working. Let's praise Him today. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank You again for this time we have together for uh, 
everyone that is here. I just pray that you will help us to focus on you and to glorify you today and you know, to just offer you praise all day long. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all